Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Despite a game-tying rally in the ninth, the Rays lose in extra innings to the Marlins 3-2 to fall back to 500 on the season at 42-42. and Rick Stroud sat down with Booger McFarland a couple weeks ago, and they discussed all kinds of things from his start in radio six years ago to now being the Monday Night Football guy, growing up in Louisiana and how that taught him some life lessons, as well as Tony Dungy teaching life lessons along the way, what Warren Sapp meant to his career, and how being hurt for the Super Bowl with Tampa Bay crushed him. The Lightning re-signed Slater Cuckoo. All that and more coming up on Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Steve Versnick sitting in for the vacationing Rick Stroud. And before we get into today's show, I want to tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now. You'll get a free 30-day trial membership. That's a $15 value. And as a listener to Sports Day Tampa Bay, you'll get a free audiobook. Just go to audibletrial.com. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash sports day to take advantage of this deal. Now, Audible's owned by Amazon. They have more than 180,000 titles that you can choose from. Plus, you own the books once you download them. That's audibletrial.com slash sports day for a free 30-day trial membership and a free audiobook. So a couple weeks ago, Rick Stroud was able to sit down with Booger McFarlane over lunch at Avila Country Club, and they discussed all kinds of things. And today will be part one of our chat. They're going to talk about how he got his start in radio six years ago at 98.7 The Fan and now is on Monday Night Football, growing up in Louisiana and how that taught him a lot of life lessons, what Warren Sapp meant to him when he was drafted by the Buccaneers and played alongside him, how Tony Dungy is a teacher of life lessons, and as he gets older, he appreciates that even more and more, and how the Super Bowl, when Tampa Bay won that, if you remember, Booger McFarland was hurt and did not play in the Super Bowl, and that crushed him. But what made him get over that and made him enjoy that Super Bowl so much was the joy of the other players around him. Here's Rick Stroud's part one with Booger McFarland. Even though, even with your background, like so many athletes that played um, to your level, don't want to don't want to dive in and, and and be committed to something as hard as like local radio. You know what I mean? Like it's a commitment, and you, it, there's not a lot of money in it, right? You're not doing it for that necessarily. What made you want to? want to take that on and, and do it for as long as you did. You know, it's, it's funny because when I jumped in, I had retired and I wasn't working for probably, I think, three and a half years. Yeah. And so I was getting that itch, man. Like, okay, what am I going to do? What's next? How is this going to come about? Yeah. And I got a call and saying, hey, you know, we're starting this local thing. Yeah. Um, with CBS, would you want to come audition? So I was like, sure. So I went audition. Audition with Ty Wright on a Sunday afternoon. And... We got in there and we talked for 20 minutes. We were only supposed to go five. We went for 20 just because, uh, and it felt good just to conversate with someone else about sports. We talked a lot of football, a little baseball, but it just felt good. And so it, it was never work. So it never felt like work to me. Now, there were some ancillary things, the, the benefits, uh, a little bit more notoriety, keeping your name out there. Um, but for me, it was never work. And I think that's why I was able to jump into it because mm-hmm. I watch sports, all sports, uh, in some shape or form. Mm-hmm. Like I, I watch hockey come playoff time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it just never felt like work. It's interesting because even when I knew you as a player, 
you were always a guy that that knew what was going on. Some guys are just sort of football centric mm-hmm. a little bit, and some of them watch the NBA. But you knew kind of everything that was going on. Have you always just been that guy that kind of like liked all sports or was a viewer of all sports? You know, when you grow up in a small town, <laughs> not a lot of people, not a lot of things to do. Sports become somewhat appointment viewing uh, and appointment listening because we listen to games on the radio. And so I just, I, I'm a sports fan. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say I'm, uh, I'm watching the Premier League, but if there's a big soccer event, I'll watch it. I'll watch a little bit of it. World Cup or whatever. Baseball, there's nothing like, I, 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 I'll never forget, um, you know, hearing Joe Buck's call. You know, we'll see you tomorrow night. Because I was sitting there watching it. Because it's something about seeing athletes compete at the highest level. Now, I'm a football junkie. We watch football. It can be, I mean, Temple and USF, I'm lock in. But when you get sports, whether it's tennis, hockey, baseball, whatever, competing at the highest level, and it means something, they're playing for something, mm. because I think that brings out the best in people. And I'll sit there and watch. Mm. I, I'm sitting there watching Ovechkin, and, you know, everyone's got this feel-good story with, with the Las Vegas Knights. But it's just something about a guy like Ovechkin. He's been arguably one of the best players in the world for a long time, but he doesn't have anything to show for it. And you can just see his will as he's trying to get his team to this Stanley Cup. And now that they're up 3-1. And you just watch the excitement. Like, that's something you can't create mm-hmm. unless you have sports. And it's entertainment, man. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not easily entertained. Right. Uh, and, and so for me, regardless of whether I was working in it or working around it, a night for me during that three years where I, where I was retired and hadn't, wasn't doing anything, a night for me was sitting back, I might watch three or four innings of baseball. Mm-hmm. I might watch the Stanley Cup Finals around. I'm going to watch the game. I'm going to watch... Uh, attract me. I'm gonna watch with it. I, I watch women's softball, just especially if it means. Mm-hmm. You talk about a lot, um, and ever since I've known you, your roots growing up where you did um, in Louisiana and, and going to LSU, which had to be a huge thing for mm-hmm. a guy who who grew up in yeah, Louisiana. It was. Um, but fun fact, I never wanted to go to LSU in the beginning. I wanted really? to go to Miami. Oh, really? Yeah. Because if you look at Miami's history of great defensive tackles. Sapp, Jerome Brown, Russell Maryland, Cortez Kennedy. I mean, it's like, okay, that's where you need to go. And Miami didn't offer me, and Florida State said I was too small. <laughs> and so, you know what? It's okay. Um, and LSU was recruiting me at the same time, and so was Tennessee, Arkansas, Notre Dame. I kind of want to stay close to home yeah. a little bit. But I, I would have gone to Miami just because of that lineage of great DTs. Yeah. Um, and so, in, in the end, the decision to go to LSU was kind of, I'm, I'm not going to say it was made for me, because I, I always said that if I, if I wanted to stay close to home, it would, it would be LSU, um, maybe if there were some schools in Texas, but they didn't come hard. But it came down, even though it was LSU, Tennessee, Arkansas, Miami was really the only other school that I would have gone to. Interesting. Um, and I think what's endearing about you like in, in throughout your career is that you share a lot of your personal life and growing up. Um, mm-hmm. One of the great stories you tell about you is your nickname, Booger mm-hmm. you know, Booger, um, and how, I mean, I can let you tell it, but how you almost burned a house down one mm-hmm. day. But, but those, those, is that part of what um, you're willing to share as a personality? I mean, is that something you, you kind of have freely done? You did it as a player. Right. Um, well, I, here's the thing, Rick. I, I look at, you know, people often, before they allow themselves to get to know you, and hear what you say. I think they first need to understand who you are. 
And so I've always tried to let people know who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm a country boy from Winsboro, Louisiana. I, I didn't grow up with a silver spoon. My mother raised three kids on $18,000 a year. Uh, I got my first job at 13 years old, cutting wood, mowing yards. And so underst people understand who you are. Because oftentimes we see guys on TV or we hear guys on the radio, and they're like, yeah, who's this guy? He's got a job. He's sitting up there in his nice suit. Or he's sitting in the studio air conditioning talking about sports, telling me what I should think. Well, no, not really. I'm just giving you my opinions that you just happen to hear. But I want you to know that they're coming from somebody who not only has been where you are, I'm still there. Like, just because my house is a little bigger doesn't mean I'm no different. I got the same issue, same problem that you have. And so I just try to let people know who I am. Like, at my core, I'm a sports fan. Uh, I'm a hard worker. I get up early, go to bed late. Um, I enjoy some of the same things that, that we all enjoy. A nice round of golf with friends. Okay, I love peanut butter. Like, like the things that are really um, common with most people, they're still common with me. And so I just try to let people know me. That way, when they hear me, they're like, okay, here's a guy. I got a wife and two kids, too. Okay. Connection. There is a, there's a connection, I think, that as a fan uh, or as a, a listener or as a consumer, that if I have a connection with a product, then I'm more apt to buy that product. If I have a connection with somebody that I'm watching, I'm more apt to sit and listen. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's been always been my MO, just to, just to be authentic and be natural. To accomplish what you had, you had a great role model in your mom. Mm -hmm. uh, she worked very hard, obviously, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, raising three kids. How much of her is, is sort, of, sort of your motor um, in, in, in watching her do what she did? Well, it's amazing because the older I get, the more she becomes um, the model of, of consistency of how you do things. Because, you know, there's a tendency in life, the older you get, you, you accumulate more things. Hopefully you, your jobs get bigger and better. Um, problems don't go away. And sometimes that, that has a tendency to change people. Yeah. But when, when you look back and I understand Especially now that I got kids. Yeah. You know, you look back and, and my kids, like, oh, you know, kid problems. The iPad won't come on. Like, nigga, I never had an iPad. Okay. I mean, do we have to walk out the rain? Yes. We don't, I don't have the umbrellas inside. Like, all the little things now that we think, man, these problems are just all uh, worldly. You go back and I, I, I sit there. There was a time in my house, growing up, where we lived in a wooden house and the floor, um, the floor was so bad that it, the, I went to open the refrigerator and it fell through the floor. The refrigerator fell yes, through? Yes, it fell through the floor. Oh my goodness. And it's like, those are problems. That's a problem. When the heat doesn't come on, like, that's a problem. But through it all, my mother made sure that we had everything we needed. And around birthdays and holidays, we got some of the things that we wanted. And life was great because we had more personable skills, we had more people skills, because our, our idea of fun wasn't Disney World. I never went. Right. It wasn't a theme park or a zoo or whatever. It was, hey, go outside and create. You want to play basketball? Go make a goal. Yeah. You want to play baseball? Take the old broom. Take the handle off. Here's a, here's a tennis ball that we found somewhere. Go play baseball. And so we were forced to, to create things. But she, she never allowed us to say, we're poor because we never saw it that way. She made life fun because mm -hmm. we had everything we needed. We had fun. We were kids. We enjoyed it. 
when you didn't get your lesson in school, we didn't get grounded, we got the belt, the extension cord or whatever. And so it was just, she raised us how she knew how. And for me, I take all, especially now, because you know, there's a tendency now, and my wife is, is we, we all fall into it, where you never want your kids to fail. Well, the only way I learned to be where I am now is to fail. Mm-hmm. And my mother, I look back on it, there are several times she allowed me to fail. She allowed me to make a C or D in class, to know the feeling that well, I'll never do it again. Mm-hmm. And then when I did make it, she told me I couldn't play football. It's the last time I made a C. She said, if you ever make another, you'll never play football again. And what grade was that? I was in the... Grade was I was in the sixth grade. And she took you out of football? Took me out. I couldn't go to practice that day. Wow. Before I couldn't go to practice. And literally, I started playing football for the camaraderie. Because when time changed, because we lived right across the street from the field, I could see the kids practicing. It's dark. I'm like, well, we had to be inside when it was dark. <laughs> Here's a chance to stay out later, right? Exactly. Football, it was never let me go play football because I love it. It was okay. I'm trying to scheme and figure out a way that I, I can stay out a little later. Uh, and so that's how kind of it, it started. And when she took it away, it was, it was like, and I really missed it. And so I learned that lesson about education that day. Huh. And I only took one. I only took one. Didn't make another D or didn't, C. Didn't, didn't make another C. Absolutely. Wow. Ever. Because of one quick lesson. Was was sports always because, I mean, regionally, you know, people talk about the SEC and mm-hmm. the South and the uniqueness of um, just how in the South football in particular can mm-hmm. become like a religious experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go to church on Sunday, mm-hmm. you go to high school football mm-hmm. on Friday, you go to college football on mm-hmm. Saturday. There is that sort of fervent feeling. Did you did you kind of inherit that growing up there? Did you feel that was that um, was that your sort of your basis for sports matters, football matters. Yeah, football is big because most of us are looking for a way out, not a way out that like you know we're in gangs or anything like that. But you're just looking for that avenue. How can I go and find something that I can monetize, where I can not only help myself but help my family. Hmm. Because as, as I got older, you start to understand what welfare is and food stamps are, and you're like, okay, yeah, this is not, this is not ideal. You know, we're, you know, we're sitting around living and waiting on government assistance, and it's okay, I get it, but th- th- there's got to be a better way. And so for me, and you watch sports, and, and you watch, you know, some some kids watch different things. Some people watch the sports caps. Like, Man, I want to be that guy. I never said I wanted to be the football guy, but when. As that opportunity started becoming real, real, it's like, okay, I see where this goes. And it was initially just to get out. I, I realized in order to do anything, I had to get out of Winsboro. And football was my way out. Hmm. Because I knew there was more to the world in Winsboro, Louisiana, but I'd never seen it. I only left one time. That was to go to Houston, Texas. Other than that, I never left Winsboro wow. up, until 18, up until the time I went to LSU. When did you realize you could do something with it? Uh, my second year at LSU. My second year. Uh, I realized when you say do something with it, I, will, I realized I could probably be a professional. My second year at LSU. Because, I'm not going to say it became easy, but it became natural. And it was fun. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't work. 
Mm. And it was, it, it was, it was something you do. It's, it's, it's kind of like a guy who, who's painting, and he just said, you know what? Just give me some paper, man. I'm gonna give me some paper and give me some, some, some paint. I'm gonna go out here. I'm gonna just paint something, and I'm gonna react and whatever the feeling I'm gonna go to work with. Mm. That's how football was. Got on the field, and I just, used, I would react. And the camaraderie of the guys was the most fun part. Being in the locker room. Um, my sophomore year, though, really kind of opened my eyes. We had a lot of team success. We went, we, we won 10 games. And so that feeling of us winning, me being successful, um, and helping be a part of something. Because LSU lost for six straight years before our class got there in 95. So our freshman year, we went to a bowl game, won seven, eight games. The second year, we won 10 games, went to the Peach Bowl. And I played against uh, Emory Smith, which was Emory's little brother. Mm -hmm. So I could touch that. This is like, this is Emory Smith's little brother. <laughs> and we wore him out. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, you, know, you start to see these things. Because you always wonder, man, are we good enough? Could I be good enough? So I think my sophomore year was really it. What I thought was, you know, I mean, there, there is playing in college, which is unbelievable to play in the SEC and at a school like LSU. Then to make it to the NFL, but not only just make it, to be a first-round pick, mm -hmm. that's pretty heady stuff, right? I mean, it almost didn't happen. I'll tell you, <laughs> it's a funny story. So my sophomore, my junior year, I was fed up with my head coach, Jerry Nall. Me and him didn't get along for various reasons. After, my, after the season, I'm leaving. I'm done. So we appealed to the advisory board. They said, yeah, you'll be a mid-second round pick. That's good enough for me. I'm gone. And I had a coach, a guy named Jerry Baldwin. Jerry said to me, he said, hey, um, you'll play in the NFL one day. He said, but you're not ready. He said, don't let someone else control your life. If you want to stay, stay. We'll figure out a way to make it work. And so my senior year, I stayed. And he, my senior year, I talked to my head coach probably twice. And he said, whatever you got, just run it through me. Run it through me. Uh, I'll be interference. We, we can do all that. And so I stayed, went back my senior year. We weren't, we weren't very successful. Uh, injuries, ball didn't bounce our way, whatever. But it was one of the more gratifying years for me just because um, the perseverance. Because we weren't very good as a team, so it's very easy to say, ah, just kind of mail it in. Yeah. But I was able to get better even through that, mm -hmm. you know. And so becoming a first-round pick almost didn't happen, but I had to go back, and in order to do that, endure the only losing season we had and to deal with a head coach that you really didn't um, communicate with. really didn't communicate with, just because I felt like he was unfair in several situations the previous couple of years. So, but that was a lesson learned, just because um, there's no doubt in my mind, if I came out my junior year, I wouldn't have been a first-round pick. Yeah. And then... Um, of all places, you come to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where the guy you mentioned from Miami, Warren Sapp, is well into his career and is already an all-pro and, and all those things. And right away... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. As I remember it, everybody was like, well, this is the guy that's going to be the next Warren Sack. Mm-hmm. And there's enough separation between your right. careers. Four years. Mm-hmm. No separation. But oddly... I couldn't be the next one playing with him, you know, because we played two different positions. Mm-hmm. We played the same position. However, in order they to made play, you the nose tackle in, in to get you on the field. Play, right. So I had to play nose tackle, which um, I was fine with it. But there's a difference between nose tackle, three technique, take years off your life. But I learned so much from playing with Sal. Um, I learned a lot from playing with him. Um, Maybe the best work ethic. Maybe the best football work ethic that you that you've ever seen. Once he gets on the field, now people will talk about well the off season. Sometimes he don't show up and all that. I get it. We all do that. But once he steps on those white lines, his football work ethic is unreal. And his ability to. Um, he led by example, you know. Uh, I think he's a top three defensive tackle to ever play the game. Mm-hmm. I think him, you know, John Randall, Joe Green, I think those guys are all, you can throw them up in the air and whichever one you catch, you'd be fine. Uh, but that was interesting, though, because two guys, totally different personalities. Who really play the same position. Who, who play the same position, who now play together. And the best compliment that I ever got as a football player was, I forget what year it was. It was a year that I had six and a half sacks or seven, and he was up there, and we were watching film, and he said, you know, he said, you and I are the best two in the game right now, playing together. I'll never forget that. And to me, that was more valuable than being an alternate for a pro, bro, a pro bowl or making a pro bowl. Mm. Because it's pure validation, not political of a guy being voted in and you know, guy says, yeah. I don't, you know, it, 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 that's one thing. But when your peers respect you and respect how you play, it means a lot. He was a, um, he, he was a smart football player. In other words, he understood football, right? He got it. Mm-hmm. That, that was a big part of his, of your success as a team, right? Sap was a guy who, um, you know, I always look at, it's kind of like, um, He's a guy who understood the intricacies of competing, and he understood everybody's position on the field. Mm-hmm. And he went about it in a different way as far as if you screwed up, allowing, you know, letting you know you screwed up. You know, Derek Brooks might pull you aside and catch you in the rear end. Sap <laughs> may turn around and look at you like, and let everybody know it was you. <laughs> That's just a difference in personality. Um, but he was going to hold everyone accountable. Everyone was held accountable. There's the internal pressure of knowing that you're playing with a Hall of Famer, playing one of the best to ever do it. And, you know, when the, when the chip's on the line, count on him to make a play. We all, you know, you know we all count on him to make a play. Mm-hmm. And so it was, um, it was fun, man. Such a polarizing guy, too, man. Oh, you know. well, still is. Still is. Tony Dungy was your <clears throat> first 
NFL coach. Mm -hmm. and you wound up obviously playing for him in, New Orleans, in uh, Indianapolis and winning a Super Bowl. But what did Tony? What influences he had on your on your career, your life? Tony is one of the, the greatest teachers of life I've ever seen. Here's what I mean by that. You know, when you look at life, football is just a part of life. But there's certain certain principles in life that we all have to live by. And they're really simple. I'm gonna have I'm gonna treat people the way I wanna be treated. Um, I'm gonna try to live the right way. I'm gonna try to do the right thing. Right? And in the end, I'm gonna give thanks to the God above who I serve. That's what he lived by. Like you can put everything that he did in those categories. Yep. And so when you watch a guy who lives that way day in and day out, regardless of whether it's hot, cold, raining, sunny, win, lose, win, lose, doesn't matter. When you have somebody who who treats you that way, who acts that way as a role model, even though he's not trying to be one, as young men, that's what coaches are, are supposed to do. They're supposed to help mold you. Yeah. Especially at 21 years old. You come in here, you got three, four million dollars. It's like, hey, you know what? I, I've made it. Nice. Okay. You think you've made it, but now you've been given a lot. Mm -hmm. How are you going to do it? What are you going to do in the community? Because if you come in this community and you just take and don't give, then what have you really done? These are things he's teaching. Mm -hmm. And so the older you get, you start to understand, yeah, he's coaching us uh, in football, but he's also coaching us in life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's a large reason why he's, he's so endeared to his players now. Just because, yeah, we learned a lot of football. And, you know, we were able to win a lot, mm -hmm. but we also learned about life. And I think seeing how he handled so many negative situations, how he handled losing his son, how he handled getting fired, how he handled building one of the greatest defenses of all time, but not getting able to enjoy the success when it crossed the finish line. Never once handled it the wrong way. Never once handled it with an ounce of angst. It was always on the high road. He's always in the high road. And so uh, his influence on not only myself, but everybody that comes in contact with him, I think it's great. But I was able to learn those experiences because you see them from the inside. Yeah. You know? Do you feel <clears throat> that um, you guys would have won a Super Bowl had he not been fired? Um, would that have happened eventually? Because you played for him on a Super Bowl winning team, obviously, but the right. quarterback was, was Peyton Manning. So right. different circumstances. Our biggest issue was the ability to score the football. Um, if they would allow Tony to be the coach, I don't know if we would, we could have scored more. And here's why: because at that time, when you went from I mean, Shula, Steckel, Christian, like I, I can't yep. remember the order. That's it. Well, the reason it went from Shula to these guys here is because the Glazers weren't allowing him to go sign a new coordinator and give him a three, four-year deal. So he couldn't go get anybody unless it was a one-year deal. So now, yeah, we're going to have a great defense, but our offense is still going to be the same. Mm -hmm. So could we have won? We had the talent defensively, but I don't think so. And it's only because of how he was being allowed to change offensive coordinators. He wasn't allowed to go get a guy and say, hey, here's a three-year deal for mm -hmm. $6 million. You can be my coordinator. He couldn't do that. They're giving him one-year deals. And so now you have to get the guys that can take a one-year deal. Because he didn't have the longevity. No. And because the owners wouldn't give it to him. Right. So, no, I, 
I, I think the only way we were going to win was what happened. Our defense stayed intact. Uh, you bring in a coach who, at the time, caught lightning in a bottle on the offensive side of the football. We manufactured offense, and we were able to, to do it for that year. But there's a reason it didn't last, because you can't patch holes and, and think they're going to stay patched forever. Mm-hmm. At some point, you have to build this team the way Rich McKay was trying to build it, which was through the draft. The problem was, offensively, we, we wanted to play with a certain philosophy. And I think Tony understood. Like if, you, if you go back and, you know, to his credit, some of that was because, you know, we didn't have the offensive personnel to open it up. Mm-hmm. You get to Indianapolis, you got one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, offense is wide open. Sure. So I think it was give and take. He played um, a little to his strength, and his strength was defense. And, and that was it. Yeah. yeah. People may or may not remember that you're a huge part of the best, one of the best defenses in, in NFL history. And then you sort of cruelly got hurt. Um, I think it was at Detroit right before the end of the season and weren't able to play in the playoffs or the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I don't remember you ever – in fact, what I remember is your attitude was, hey, it happens, it's football. Mm-hmm. But that had to hurt you deeply to not, not be there and playing, you know, in a Super Bowl after all those years. Crush. Um, that, that was a major part of me that um, selfishly was crushed. Mm-hmm. What changed that was seeing the look on Sapp's face, the look on Lynch's face, the look on Brooks's face. Here are guys who, they're on the back nine. I mean, let's face it. Yeah, they were. I'm not saying that they're on hold 17 or 18, but they're on the back nine. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the front nine. And as, as, as somebody who understands a journey in life and understands how you get to a certain place in the road travel, Mm-hmm. I was so happy for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm standing there on the sideline when Brooks picks that ball off. And he's running, and he's crying as he's running down the sideline. And I sat there, and that was, that was unreal, man. Just because I, I, I saw it every day, how hard and diligently he worked. Yeah. And to see Sap um, understanding what he went through when he got drafted. Supposed to be the first overall pick, drops to 12 or 13. All the things that he's been through, how villainized. And some of us, some of it is from his own doing mm-hmm. in the community. Mm-hmm. To see the look on his face, see John Lynch. People thought he should have been a pitcher. They said, yeah, you're a safety, but you can't cover anybody. How are you ever going to play? Tony figured out, hey, we're going to play you around a line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. All right? We're going to use what you do well, and we're going to accentuate that. And you see guys like that. See a guy like Simeon Rice put up all the numbers in the world, but never, ever was regarded as, as, as a guy who could make a difference. Mm-hmm. 15 sacks a year out in Arizona, so what? Y'all never won nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and now, you know, you see those guys, you see the look on their faces, that took away the, the, the selfish uh, feeling that I, hey, it's about, I want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And so I was so happy for them guys, man. Like, I, I, we sat there and we partied, and it, it was just extremely happy. And, and like all those guys that I talked about, mm-hmm. Brian Kelly, still friends with all those guys. Because and, and that was the only way. Because otherwise, when you get to the biggest game of the year, you want to be there. And I was no different. However, the satisfaction of seeing those guys win in those moments, 
help ease that pain. Mm -hmm. And it also taught me a lesson a lot about sometimes in life things aren't meant to be. Mm -hmm. My life's always been, I, people call it a hard road, I, I, it, it's always been a challenging road. Right. You know? There's nothing easy about it. No, there was another challenge. And so I, I used to wonder, yeah, I had a Super Bowl title, I had a ring, but see, it didn't feel right. Wasn't on the field, didn't feel right. Hmm. So I had, to, I had to live with that for a few years. I had to live with that. And then it's amazing how life turns. And I always, I always laugh at this. Because three years later, here are two guys that are on the field in Miami. It's, it's the only Super Bowl that ever rained at. It's pouring down rain. The whole game. Rain the whole game. If you remember the night they fired Tony, he walks to that Durango with a, with a box in his hand. Raining. And it's raining. Don't think I didn't think about that. Here's a guy, I look at myself. Didn't get a chance to play in that game. Here we are on the field and going against Lovey. Like that whole night, it was just, it was just surreal, man. Yeah. Like, like that, that whole feeling come full circle. And that ball, like that night in Miami brought three or four years of my life full circle, just about from, from understanding what it's like to be a part of something and have it taken away. And now forcing you to cheer and root for other people that you care about. Having lost a coach the year before, he's gotten fired, he's gone on. Now, two years after that, middle of the night, we're in training camp um, in Tampa, down in Orlando. My mom passes away. All right. Then I get traded to Indy. Now Tony and I are back reunited. And when I got there, the only thing he told me is be yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to get you to be in it. Just be yourself. Just, whatever, just be yourself. We're going to take off tomorrow as it will be the 4th of July. So part two of that podcast will air Thursday, July 5th. We'll have that for you right here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. The Rays, meanwhile, they lose to the Marlins 3-2 to two in 10 innings. They rallied in the ninth inning off Bear Claw, who hadn't given up a run since early May. C.J. Crone gets a double that scores Jake Bowers, and the Marlins actually made a perfect throw from left field to the th uh, third baseman, who then threw it into Real Mudo, but he dropped the ball as Jake Bowers went by, and he was able to tag the base to send it to extra innings. Nathan Avaldi, a pretty good start. I mean, it's amazing that he got into some, some jams tonight, but he still gets out of it, only gives up two runs on the night. It's plenty. It's a good enough effort by your starting pitcher that you have no problems with that. The Rays just didn't have enough bats tonight at the end of the day to make it work. But Nathan Avaldi pitched well at Danny Echevarria, a tremendous play in the middle of the game to save a run. Bases were loaded. Uh, ball comes up the middle, kind of hits off the pitcher's mound, even pops up. He grabs it, turns, and fires to Wilson Ramos to get an out. The Rays now fall back to 500 on the season, 42-42. and 42. Of course, they're coming off an 8-1 and one homestand, uh, which is just incredible. They'll have game two tonight in, in Miami. 7-10 uh, start. Ryan Stanek was supposed to be the starter on Tuesday, but he actually pitched the 10th inning and didn't pitch very well, considering how well he's done in that starter role. He walked the first guy, then he gave up a single, so he had runners on the corners with no out. Then gave up a, hit, a sharp hit to third base, which Matt Duffy couldn't get the ball out of his glove and threw kind of wildly to Ramos in this run scored to end the game at 3-2 to two on a walk-off fashion. So Ryan Stanek not going to start on Tuesday. It'll be Ryan Yarborough instead. 
uh, for the evening affair down in Miami. And then, of course, on the 4th of July, they're going to have an afternoon affair to wrap up that series before heading up to New York to face the Mets on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The Lightning re-signed restricted free agent Slater Cuckoo to a one-year $865,000 contract. Of course, last year he played a lot early in the season, didn't play a lot in the second half of the season, uh, didn't play any playoff games. He was a restricted free agent, probably still going to be the seventh defenseman on this team, assuming that no moves are made, as you've got Hedman, Strawman, Girardi, McDonough, Coburn, and Sergachev that are your top six. Although I do expect Slater Cuckoo to slate in a little more this year, of course, any injuries as well. Um, at the end of this season, Dan Girardi, Braden Coburn, and Anton Strawman's contracts are all up. So they're pro- the Lightning are probably going to be looking for Slater Cuckoo to get a little more time this year, a little more experience to see if they can rely on him as some of those contracts uh, are up after next season and some of those players may not be re-signed. Anton Strawman you may see re-signed. I don't anticipate Dan Girardi or Braden Coburn to be re-signed after this coming season. So uh, you got Cal Foote in the minors coming up. He might get some some uh, look this year. Some Eric Chernak may and Dominic Machine as well may get some time depending on injuries and how that falls out too. But um, So the Lightning have re-signed Slater Cuckoo. Cedric Paquette and Adam Ernie are still restricted free agents that have not been signed at this point. One more note before we go. Larry Brooks from the New York Post reporting that the Senators have given interested teams permission to talk a contract extension with Eric Carlson, their defenseman. He says he sounds like he's looking for a deal kind of in the eight-year, $11 million range. Can't see the Lightning wanting to do that kind of deal. Although, if you take a discount because of the no state taxes and this, the style of living here in Tampa Bay, Florida, maybe you can get a deal done. Uh, the Lightning were in talks of, or rumored to be in talks to trade for him at the trade deadline last year. That kind of fell through. Instead, they got Ryan McDonough and JT Miller. Eric Carlson going to be expensive, maybe too too rich for the Lightning's blood, but the Senators sound like they're going to trade him. The Lightning have expressed interest in the past, and I'm sure that they are exploring that or seeing if it's a possibility going forward. Of course, Eric Carlson and Victor Hedman are very good friends. If you remember at the All-Star game, seeing them dressed up as pirates for Gasparilla, they went out there. You never know what may happen there, but just a, another note in, in the division with Eric Carlson and a top-line defenseman. Looks like he's on the trading block, as was expected. With his, uh, He'll be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this coming season. Thank you so much for listening to Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Steve Versnick filling in for Rick Stroud, who continues his month-long journey out west. It's not really a month long, but we're still going to say that. Uh, We appreciate uh, you listening, and and we love your feedback as well. You you can reach the show at SportsDayTB on Twitter. You can reach Rick Stroud at NFL Stroud. You can always email Rick as well, rstroud at tampabay.com. And if you can, uh, anywhere you get your podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, just hit the subscribe button there. That way the podcasts are automatically downloaded every day. We appreciate if you leave comments or like the post. That always helps us out too. And if you tell someone else about it, tell a friend. That always helps too. We really appreciate that. Thank you again for listening. We're going to take tomorrow off for the 4th of July, so we'll be back with the podcast uh, late Wednesday night for Thursday, uh, which will be part two of our interview with Booger McFarlane. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great Tuesday. 